Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Chef Jessica Walks First started cooking young. She's a member of the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin, but she grew up in Chicago and she was surrounded by community. I grew up, you know, in a family that it centers around cooking and food. So as soon as I could reach the stove, which was probably about the age of five, my mom started teaching me. And if you were a little femme growing up in the 80s and 90s, you can probably relate to how she stumbled on her love for cooking. One of these Christmases, I got an easy bake oven and it kind of just went from there. But she didn't really consider making it a career until a few years ago. She went to culinary school and started a catering business specifically for indigenous foods. And now she's using her skills to preserve some of the indigenous culture that has been stripped away over centuries of colonization. This is kind of a theme of my conversation with Chef Jessica. I'm a black person, she's an indigenous person, and we have this special experience as Americans because we can't easily look back and point to things like, this is my ancestor. This was a dialect of the language they spoke. This was a dish they ate. Even names are complicated. Jessica's legal last name is Pomonacut. Pomonacut is a government issued name because they couldn't pronounce our family name, which actually is Pamonikut, which translates to Waxworth. Language matters here, just as much as the food. Chef Jessica calls her business Kitapanin Kitchen because Kitapanin is an expression of love in the Menominee language. And that's so fitting because she talks about her cooking as an act of love. I grew up at the American Indian Center of Chicago. And like any time there was any sort of gathering there, I would always be in the kitchen helping, whether it was helping cook food, whether I was serving people or even cleaning up after them. That mindset of care has always been there in the back of my mind, making sure that there's enough to go around for everybody. And so, like, that makes the most sense in catering, because there are days where I can cater for 50 people or I can cater for a thousand people. But that that whole mindset of making sure that everybody is well fed is like always at the front of my mind. Yeah. You know, I, there was a time in my life when I was cooking for like 15 people um, every once a week. And uh, when I ended up starting to cook for myself, I found it really hard to only cook enough for me. Does that resonate? Like, do you, oh, when absolutely. you're cooking for yourself? Yeah. Like, yeah. We just had this discussion yesterday because <laughs> like, I cook so much. Like the other night, it's just me, my husband and my son who's eight. I cook two different kettles of soup. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this? So I'm like, I'm vacuum sealing and freezing bags. And then an aunt of mine was talking about it, how she freezes food. So then we start talking about vacuum sealing and filling your deep freezer with all these leftovers, because there's no way that I can cook for a small amount of people. It just never happens. I've tried. It just doesn't work. Uh, Yeah, it took me a long time of like living on my own to just start cooking for myself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and it kind of goes back to that, you know, food is not just about eating. It's also about like storage and preservation. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like even like in our kitchen, like a couple of weeks ago, I got these um, heritage squashes. They were grown with seeds that were hundreds of years old. 
So like me and my sous chef were like, okay, we need to preserve the seeds, but we also need to preserve the squash because we want to be able to add it to other dishes and, you know, make sure that it's used in a good way and that it doesn't go to waste. And, you know, a lot of that is considered in what we do too, is, you know, making sure that what we do is we're not wasteful, that we're using yes. every part of the food that we can use and making sure that things are adequately stored the correct way so that we don't, you know, lose things, especially the squash like that. These plants grow and they give their lives for us. The least we can do is honor them by not making them go to waste. Uh, as a plant-based person, I just love hearing you say that. Um, speaking of preservation, I want to bring it more into the cultural realm you're a member of the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. And I wonder um, if you pull from other indigenous traditions, though, when you're thinking about recipes. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when I, when I started this, it was like, oh, should we just focus on one region? Just focus on my tribe. But like our foodways are so beautiful and so, you know, there's so many different foods and textures and flavors. And I would be limiting myself and limiting the possibilities if I didn't reach out into other regions. Like I always call it intertribal cuisine because I pull from the Southwest. I pull from the coasts. You know, I pull from the Great Lakes region, from the plains, mm. incorporate as many different ingredients as I can to give that variety. Because like, I don't know if you're aware, Chicago is home to one of the largest urban native populations in the country. Mm. We represent over 330 tribal nations here in the Chicagoland area alone. So if my community is eating my wow. food. I want them to have great ingredients that are familiar to them and that feel like home to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how did you learn about some of the traditions that you pull from when you're when you're cooking? For Native people in general, we learn a lot through oral tradition by mm -hmm. listening to stories to, you know, when you're around a bunch of other Native people, especially if it's in a kitchen, listening and watching what they're doing, watching what they're cooking and learning. I've traveled all over. I've talked to so many different people and not just chefs, because Native people in general are cooks. We all cook. It's just something that's <laughs> bred in all of us. Okay. And just picking up those pieces and, and, and adopting them into my own practices. I mean, it's going to be a learning process for me that I'll never stop learning. Mm. But as I learn, I look for ways to incorporate them into our menu. Yeah. So what are some of the main ingredients that always show up in the food that you make? Um, bison is one of the main ingredients that is uh, featured heavily in our menu. People tend to really enjoy that because it's very similar to beef. You know, they, they tend to go for dishes that they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Bison does feature prominently on our menu, as does wild rice. Wild rice mm. is very prevalent in this region as well. My own tribe, um, it means people of the wild rice. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Well, so wild rice is, um, grew, you know, in abundance in this area at one time. So a lot of the Great Lakes tribes, you know, it features heavily in their diets. So I always try to honor that. So there's a lot of wild rice dishes on my menu. And then uh, another uh, favorite on our menu that we work a lot with is corn, uh, specifically corn masa. We have a line of tamales. We do a bison tamale with blueberry masa. Three Sisters, which is corned bean and squash and a sweet corn and cranberry masa. And then we do a chipotle style turkey and a cranberry masa. And then for Valentine's Day, we went a little extra and we're doing chocolate covered strawberry tamales and then uh, red velvet cheesecake tamales. Whoa, y'all can't see my face right now, but I'm like a little bit in awe and confusion and in anticipation. <laughs> Thank you.
You were interviewed in 2022 for a piece in the Associated Press about access to indigenous foods. Yes. Um, people take for granted having access to their cultural foods. Tell me why this is important. In my own culture, those dishes are important to us. They tell stories, they tell our history, and I'm sure it's the same for other cultures. So making sure you have access to those ingredients is important because, you know, that's, it's a part of your culture. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of who your, you know, your future is going to be, the, the next generations coming forward, preserving that for them. Yeah. So, you know, in order to, you know, create more access, we have to look at ways of growing ourselves. You know, there's so many empty lots and abandoned buildings in big cities. Why aren't we, raise, you know, raising these down and building garden beds? Why aren't we growing in all these empty spaces? You know, we could feed our people so much better than those processed foods if more action was taken to start growing. Because again, having access to not only culturally appropriate foods, but healthy foods is so important and vital in a country that relies on heavily processed foods that are not good for our bodies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a bigger picture than just access. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the circumstances that have created this situation where accessing cultural foods for indigenous communities is hard? Absolutely. Uh, industrialization, monocropping, colonization. <laughs> I mean, really, if you if you look around, OK, let's say we're in Chicago, we live in a concrete jungle. Before these were prairies and stuff, there was food grew in abundance here. But when you destroy the places where food grows, how is it supposed to grow? Mm. You know, I my best wow. example is always, you know, wild rice grew in abundance in waters across Michigan, through Wisconsin, down to the Great Lakes, into Illinois out across Minnesota, into the Dakotas. If you look at what's left of the wild rice beds, even the one on my own reservation, it is so small in comparison of what it used to be. And it's like, why did this happen? Well, things like mines and, and pipelines that poison waterways mm. where wild rice grows. Yeah. You know, the way we treat this planet, the way we treat the land we live on has a direct impact on culturally relevant foods here. You know, most of our indigenous foods, people fought to save. There are people, seed keepers who have kept seeds to try to restore these crops. But then again, if you're growing in soil that has, you know, been destroyed, the vital nutrients that have been destroyed, how do you expect to grow the same product again? You know what I mean? You can't, it, it's, it's so much bigger than we think it is. I mean, we'd have to clean the soil. We'd have to get, you know, seeds that are not, have not been genetically modified. You know, we have to look at, you know, how many seeds are available? Can we keep this sustained to keep growing it until it grows enough where people have access to it? I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I just love the way that um, Kitapanin Kitchen is set up. There's this intentional hybrid of creating good eats, education, and cultural preservation. And I'm wondering if all these elements were always the goal or did you start off differently? Um, I'll be very honest. When I started out, I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew, like like I said, I've, I've told the story before in the media, but when I met my husband, I cooked for him. He never left. Um, he 
was like, he tried to convince me that I should be doing this for a living. I was very hesitant. I was like, I can't see myself doing it. He's like, I want more of this and everybody should have some of this. (laughs) Yeah, that was his attitude. I Um, love that. He he enrolled me in culinary school and he did it without my permission. Just came over one day and says, okay, orientation is on Monday. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to humor you. I loved it. And then even then, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. It kind of took years of playing with things and figuring out who I was meant to be. And, Mm. you know, there was some like too, like a lot of Native people carry generational traumas. And I think I had to heal some of those traumas to see my path too. And that's something I never really talk about, you know. And I realized as my head got clearer, my path got clearer. I was meant to do this, Mm -hmm. you know. And it kind of, it, it literally created itself just by the doors that opened to me and the connections that I made and it all made sense at the end like I could tell you how many times I've gone to school and how many degrees I've gotten different fields and every single one of them played into what I do today and now that I'm here everything that I do it feels good in my heart I mean I have some really long days and there are days where I can go till 10 11 o'clock at night and I'm back at it three in the morning I don't sleep. I mainline coffee. My brain never shuts off. But I love what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work. When you know that you're doing something that's going to affect the next seven generations in a positive way, when you know you are having an impact on the people that you serve, it's not work. You know, yeah. it is it is my way of giving back to the world every opportunity that's ever been given to me. What? is making you emotional right now. Yeah. I, oh God, I probably get a little more emotional, but you know, when I grew up, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I started school here and, you know, I grew up in a place where I never saw anything of myself in the world around me. You know, I, I was very distanced from other native children, from my culture, you know, outside of the American Indian center, that was my tie to who I was as a native person. You know, there weren't TV shows, there weren't fashion designers, there weren't any, there was, you know, we weren't part of the mainstream culture. And I live to see the day where, you know, we're winning Golden Globes. Mm. There's multiple TV shows with Native characters. I mean, our culture is in the mainstream now, and I'm part of that. And it's something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Yeah. Um. Your website says your goal is to bring indigenous foods to the forefront of Chicago cuisine. What to you does that look like in an ideal world? If you could paint a picture. If I could paint a picture, there would be as many native restaurants as there are Mexican restaurants in this city. Oh, <laughs> if you ask people what native cuisine was, they'd know. I mean, I've, I've, I've made a dent in it. I have, because there, I do have a very large following and people, you know, who know my food, but I want, I want so much more than that. And I don't want it to just be me. I'm not doing this so I could be the sole native chef in Chicago. I mean, I'm, I want to open the doors for others to walk in behind me and know that there's a space for them Mm. because, you know, these are our ancestral homelands and we should be represented here. So in an ideal world, there would be just more than me here. There would be many options for native cuisine. And it would be, you know, just as, oh, we're going to go to this Mexican restaurant or this Italian restaurant. People would be saying, oh, we're going to go to this native restaurant here or that one over there. 
I want there to be options and choices and the same education. You know, our food tells stories and it, t- it talks about a lot of our, our resiliency as people. And I want people to understand that. You know, like I said, we're making waves in this country right now, and I just want those waves to get bigger. Chef Jessica Walks First is the owner of Kitapanen Kitchen. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Chef Jessica and her work at kitapanenkitchen.com. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. If you love this episode and you want to share some of this work from Chef Jessica with a homie, go ahead and share. It helps more people find the show. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>